welcome to the Props Public Safety Podcast, where experienced firefighters discuss drone operations in public safety. Take flight, save lives, save service members. What's up, handsome? <laughs> I love when you say that. How you Absolutely. Doing? <laughs> I see a little twinkle in your eye. Yeah, I have a face for radio, so it, it gives me a little twinkle every time. Absolutely. So. Don't worry. Luckily, only you know, only audio is what they could see right now. Thank God for podcasts. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> we both look like train wrecks anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least we're consistent. <laughs> well, you know what, Mike? Summer is coming. Yes. So it's around the corner. It's almost here. The nicer weather, the birds are chirping, the grass is green, trees are yep. blooming. Yeah. You know, it's starting to get a little bit warmer each and every day. I feel like you're you're lining me up for something. You're, you're getting ready to to drop it. What is it? Oh, well, I think we need to discuss, well, drones during the summer months. Everybody kind of knows that. Keep your batteries cool and everything else. But what about waterborne drone operations? Water-related, you know, boat in distress, person in the water. Okay. Payload deployment, life okay. preservers. Okay. You know, the seasonal. Uh-huh aspect of drones unless you happen to live in sunny florida where it's year-round but uh you know well there's a lot of coastal cities there's a lot of lakes there's a lot of rivers so yeah i think it i think it works that we can kind of do a quick deep dive on uh on the do's and don'ts of uh of water rescue or water operations in general water operations all right i like it yeah so let's uh let's dive in as they say (laughs) Let's, let's dive in Okay. All right. I guess if we're going that route, we should probably do the differences between uh, a land-based operation and a water-based operation, right? Yeah. I mean, there is definitely some stuff that needs to be addressed for the water operations. And there's definitely some stuff that needs to be addressed, you know, for the the location of site event. Absolutely. And and that's just it. It, It's a lot of it is location based. If you're operating in an urban environment and you're pushing off into a body of water, you're going to run into a a lot more variables than if you were in a lake or a rural setting and doing the exact same thing. Uh, So so that location is key to a successful operation. Knowing the variables in your location is key to successful operation. And also time of day. You know, we all know that, you know, beachgoers or lake dwellers go to those areas normally during the sunrise, (laughs) you know, and the sun, the sun hours. But however, it's not uncommon to get one of these calls late at night. Um, And it definitely your outfit and the the entire equipment list is slightly different for outdoors um, at night. So I know one of the things that I bring with us is a strobe light to weave at the landing pad. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when on the return home flight, if I'm scanning the coastline, you're looking at, you know, hundreds of thousands of little lights. Which one is me? Which one am I? You know, and rather than looking at the map and fl- figuring out where the, you know, and physically driving the drone back, um, you could kind of look, you know, on the screen and see, all right, that blinking, I know I'm I'm heading at least in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. That would um, also mean very easy to get spun around. And that would also mean operating in front of your landing zone when you are operating, because you don't want to you want to avoid that night blindness and everything else that's associated with those strobes. Correct. Yeah. So, so once you do take off, you want to push that front of that 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 landing, yeah. that landing zone. And then uh, spotlight uh, on the drone as well, if if applicable. You know, definitely want something that's thermal based, has a good thermal camera on it. You know, a three twenty or higher. Um, anything lower than that is 
you're going to be too close to the water to kind of really get a read on anything. Yeah. So we have the whole issue with reclaimed land, like you said, urban landscape. So um, yeah, you are, or, here or whatever, if you want to address that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are operating from uh, in an urban environment, where actually it's not even necessarily an urban, urban environment, anywhere where there's reclaimed land, like a pier or just backfill or, backfill or boardwalk or anything, then yeah. you're going to be dealing with a lot of magnetic interference and there's, there's a ton of steel and everything else located underneath you. So sometimes it's better when you're pushing out to that body of water to be separate from that coastline and walk it in. Okay. Yep. So you, you go through your normal checks, you go up in the air, and then you walk into that coastline instead of operating directly from that coastline. Now, that's probably different if you're operating in a more rural environment or if you're operating from a lake where you're operating from a shoreline there, you know, where you know that that's a natural landscape. You're not dealing with those issues. If you are operating from any reclaimed land or in that urban environment, pushing into that landscape is probably a lot safer of an option. Yeah. And also, you got to remember, too, not all lakes are, you know, born from Mother Nature. Um, yeah. Sometimes, you know, humans like to dig holes in the ground and put them in the concrete. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So you know, know where you're operating. But that's, your but that's, you know that's your body knowing, of water that you're going to be into. A- absolutely. And that's knowing your response area. That's getting familiar with the response area and how to operate on on a day-to-day in your in your. Yeah. Area. And when in doubt, treat it as non-natural. If you can't tell whether it's natural or unnatural, just make pretend it's oh, always natural. Air. Absolutely. Always err on the side know. of caution. Yep. Err on the side of caution. Another thing that we need to address is a lot of these areas have sand and sand is a gimbal murderer, a (laughs) motor murderer. It will ruin any cooling fan that you have for your drone if it gets inside there. So, you know, landing pads are a must. Keeping the equipment clean is a must. If you absolutely have to, you know, walk through, you know, sand to get where you are, keep the equipment in its waterproof case. Most of them come in waterproof cases. Don't walk with it in the open. And then, you know, clear an area and then put everything on top of your case. Use your case instead of putting it on the ground as a clean zone for, you know, set operation. And also make sure that when you're handling and putting everything back, you don't have sand all over your hands as well. Just getting sand in the case is enough to get it caught in the motors or in the gimbals. Or and, that, and that's really where that post-incident uh, maintenance comes into play, where yeah. you want to blow all that out and make sure that there, there isn't. It's it's really, we do it in the winter. You know, we do it when it rains. There's no reason why we're not doing it when we're in a condition like that. I think another, another thing that needs to be um, discussed is uh, wind conditions. Generally, if you're operating on bodies of water, that wind is going to be more pronounced than if you were pushed inland. So a good indication of that wind direction and the severity of that wind is I always like to switch into an Addy mode for a second and to get an idea of where that wind is pushing and to the severity of how much that wind is pushing, because that gives me an idea of how much I need to come back for my battery health. And I think yeah. battery health is another thing that needs to be discussed when we're going with open bodies of water, because you know, it might take you 20% battery to get out, but if you're dealing with a headwind on the way back, that yeah. can drain your battery completely. So you need to be aware of where the wind is coming from, how much battery is going to be affected by that wind, and how much you need to compensate to bring it back safely. Absolutely. And that means, you know, proper battery checks as well, yeah. which should be done prior to the incident. 
you know, your equipment should be in full working order. You shouldn't have any doubts about your battery. And everybody that's listened to this podcast knows how to do a battery test. Um, if they don't, then they need to visit Props Public Safety <laughs> and learn how to do a battery test of their equipment because it is the power plant of your entire system. Without battery, then it becomes a falling very fast brick. Yeah. Um, it will not sustain flight. Uh, another thing I, I know, uh, I know, I know. Before we, before you you jump in on the next subject, I know a lot of training programs push that whole wind at your back when you're taking off. Yeah, and when you're dealing with public safety, we don't always have that luxury of doing that, so we need to be aware of that. Yeah, correct. Um, and one of the other things that you know, since we're on the topic of wind, is that's going to govern kind of how you're you're operating your equipment too. If you have to stay on target. Let's say you have a boat in distress or something along those lines, kind of have to spin the drone a certain way so that you can get the best image possible. You might have to rotate around this, uh, this object to, you know, do a, you know, a thermal scan of the water or whatever. But now you have an idea of which side of that vessel you would need to do a little bit further of a search based on which way the wind is going as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you are operating with a piece of equipment that does have like the M30 where you can attach a speaker to it, right? That communication between you and that vessel, you, you kind of have to build it out into your program of how you do that. And I think those verbal commands where one hand up is yes, two hands up is no, or however it works where you can do visual cues because you know you can't hear what they're saying, visual cues to how well or the severity of that incident or what needs to be addressed at that incident. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you bring up the M30. The M30 is perfect for, you know, these operations, especially with, you know, the ability to communicate and the ability with the M300 to do the same. Yeah, um, I, really know I've, I know points. I've used yeah, and I know I've I've used it, I've used it at two incidents with the M30 where, I, where I've gone on scene with a vessel in distress. Yeah, a uh, reported vessel in distress, and you went through the motions of raise one hand for you. Are, are this is blah 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 with with so and so? Are you in need of assistance? Raise one hand for yes. Raise two hands for no, and they raise two hands for no, right? And then you confirm that, right? Because like everything we do, like pilot and VO and everything else. Right. You want that confirmation to make sure you want redundancy built into your program. Right. So you do it again and you say, OK, this is a second confirmation of the incident that there's no need for FD or PD assistance. Um, and then you go from there and then yeah, you can and then you can deal with your marine channels and everything else to if need be to uh, further um, find out what the what the issue is associated with that vessel. Yeah. Yeah. So what anything else you got? Uh, no, uh, I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole on these things. Oh, another, another thing to note is you don't want to be close to the water because what happens when you're close to the water, John? You get wet. You get wet, but it also, depending on the, uh, on the UAS you're operating with your UAS, if you have, uh, your VPS on. Yeah, that it, that it could follow the uh, the way of the water. Um, that normally takes place around 30 feet or all okay. below. Yeah. So realistically, only if you're deploying a payload, a life-saving vest or something along those nature, that's when you would need to drop down to that. And if you do turn off your VPS, then remember to turn it back on uh, because <laughs> it will just <laughs> lands like a Yeah, then you're going to have a, uh, you can have a pancake. On your yeah. Um, the use of strobes is highly recommended. Um, Absolutely. 
Yep. You know, especially operating at night. Yeah, I mean, where they're mandatory, but you know, during the day, I, actually help you out a lot as well. I I always recommend operating strobes regardless of the time of day. I think it makes makes a major improvement in how well you can see that UAS regardless of the time of day. Yep. So and uh, you know, now we're equipped mostly drones with laser range finders, use yep. them to your advantage. Um, if you got a, a target, mark the target. Doesn't necessarily mean if it's a vessel in distress, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to stay there. But um, you can mark basically where you you mark it first. And then when you go on your return home flight, you mark it again. And even if you lose it, at least that will give you an idea of the direction it was traveling and over how long of the time. Yeah. So if you were operational on target for 26 minutes and it went, you know, a mile north, you know that it might be, you know, a mile and a quarter when you get back, you know, swap batteries and go back. Yeah. Um, give you an idea of where to look for that that said, you know, vessel again, especially if you have a crowded lake or whatever. Yeah. I I, I and I think another good thing is uh is finding how uh, thermal imagery, how water affects your thermal sensors, especially if you're looking for a person in the water. And that once they are in the water long enough and kind of reach the temperature, that ambient temperature of their surroundings, that it's more and more difficult to yeah. see them. And sometimes it's better to switch over to your your, your regular camera. Yeah, absolutely. During, uh, during most of our operations, we use visual and thermal, and we toggle between white hot, black hot, yeah. um, back and forth, and then use the visual as well. Uh, it gives you the best idea of what's kind of going on around them. Remember, once a person goes under the water, they are invisible now. You're only going to see the surface of the water. Um, however, if you're equipped with one of these laser range finders, marking that spot with the drone will allow you to, you know, send a dive team if necessary or send additional resources to that exact location that you marked, yeah, um, yeah. which is very helpful. Great especially, point. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes just hovering the drone overhead and you could tell, you know, if you have a marine asset it's directly under the drone or the vessels directly under the drone. And now they don't need any advanced GPS sensors or anything. They just, you know, look with their eyes and steer towards the blinky lights. Um, <laughs> that's been, that's been very helpful in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, that's yeah. one that's, that's how I usually operate on a day to day. Just steer towards the blinky lights. Yeah. That's, that's what we do. So for more on this topic, I mean, we've done a bunch of stuff, but we really hammer this home in uh, the props program on the large scale, you know, discussing payload deployments and you know, different situations, how to operate from, you know, reclaim lands, how to, you know, take off and lands if you're on a moving vessel. I mean, we really hammer this home in the props program. Yeah. Um, face it, a lot of our drone operations are from, you know, communities that have access to shorelines. And it's a big part of any major cities program, you know, that be Chicago, Boston, anywhere in Florida, New York City, California, they all, you know, utilize this resource equally on shorelines and for waterborne operations as they do emergency operations that are land-based. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them, it becomes started part of their standard operating procedures to dispatch, you know, their drone unit or aerial reconnaissance unit or whatever they want to call it that day as part of the primary response to get the ball rolling. Um, because a lot of communities are starting to realize that the faster these drones are in the air, the better the chance they have of one locating a person or a vessel or mitigating if you even need to 
commit additional resources. Like you had with your person that was basically waving you off because they were having a good time. They waved you off twice. But meanwhile, there's, you know, three other Marine units that are racing in there. Plus, you know, a dive team and this and that all because, you know, somebody called up on this one vessel. Definitely. Definitely. So, and I think we pretty much narrowed this one home. If they have any questions on it, then they should visit props, public safety. Definitely. You know, definitely find and learn more. Yeah. So I I think just having a, a uh, general or a decent understanding of how UAS is affected by water operations is always great. And uh, then on top of that, uh, layer on top of that, how your day-to-day operations in your environment affects that uh, that UAS operation. So, but like you said, yeah, if you want more information, check out Props Public Safety. Absolutely. And I think we I wrapped think up. Another wrap one. It up. John, I got the last one. Why don't you Why don't you send us home? All right. And that concludes another episode of Props Public Safety Podcast. I'm John Wakey. And I'm Mike Wall. Stay safe, fly safe, and if you have any questions, visit PropsPublicSafety.com. See you on the next one. Thanks for joining us at the Props Public Safety Podcast. If you want to take flight with our hosts and learn more about our public safety education program, go to PropsFlightSchool.com and click the Public Safety button.